know the deal. Stay past the credits and you get a special treat. Radio Film School is supported in part by Song Freedom, Real Music Licensed. The only music licensed site where you can legally use music from such artists as Maroon 5, Colby Calais, Imagine Dragons, Frank Sinatra, and more. Go to songfreedom.com radio and use offer code radio to unlock one free standard gold level license. We thank Song Freedom for their support. You're listening to Dare Dreamer FM, the sound of creative expression. What about, uh, what about like ex-boyfriends? Um, Say, we need an ex-boyfriend in there. No, I, I don't have Who's any. like an ex-boyfriend that just like really pissed you off, that you just, uh, that just like you hated? And I, if they're just like... I don't have an ex-boyfriend. What? Yeah. You don't have a single, you're 17 years old, you don't have an ex-boyfriend? No. Really? Guys don't That's look at me like that. I'm like, yeah, absolutely, guys look at you like no, that. No, no, no. I just I'm, saw two guys looking at you like that. Uh, Eric Wolf and Cody Dennis no, were 100% hitting on you. No, we were just talking. They were 100%. not hitting on me. No, no, no. There's absolutely yes, no way. Why don't you think they were hitting on you? Because I'm just, they weren't. Because you're what? Amy, you're absolutely beautiful. Oh, my God, no. <laughs> you don't even have to see that scene to know there was a kiss at that pause. And you probably don't have to have seen the movie to know that that kiss was a first kiss. In case you're wondering though, the movie was spectacular now. James Pontzolt's 2013 coming of age story starring Miles Teller and Shailene Woodley. Two actors who would go on later to try to kill each other in Divergent. But in this movie, they're in love. I love that scene because Shailene's character Amy reminds me of what I think my wife must have been like in high school. Beautiful, brainy, and totally clueless about the guys who liked her. But there's something about your first time that's timeless. Our firsts always hold a special place in our heart. Your first kiss, your first time driving, first time you got to stay up late past your bedtime, your first, you know, first time seeing Star Wars. Yeah, firsts are special. Firsts make a lasting imprint that we just can't seem to shake. I remember my first kiss. Wait, actually, I don't want to tell that story. My first kiss story is terrible. Let's just say it involves cake being thrown in my face. Literally. Ah, but I do remember my first crush. I was in the second grade, and her name was Jennifer. She was a younger woman, you know, first grader. You see, it was this small private elementary school, and the bathroom was at the end of the hall. Now, you had to pass the first grader's classroom in order to get there. And whenever I'd go to the bathroom, Jennifer would get up out of her seat, run over to the classroom door, and then blow me a kiss. I hated it. Although, I did notice I was going to the bathroom a lot more after she started doing that. Actually, my antics were right out of a classic Little Rascal short. I raised my hand. Miss Crabtree, may I go to the bathroom, please? My teacher's name really wasn't Miss Crabtree, but that's one of the details I don't really recall. Yes, you may, Ronnie. I then make my way down the hall. My heart beating faster as I neared the first grader's door. I then slowly walk past her room, casually turning my head over my shoulder to see if she would see me. Our eyes would meet. I'd then feign mortified surprise and run to the bathroom, where I'd literally wait at the entrance until she made it to the classroom door and blew her kiss. I'd say blah or something like that and pretend to wipe it off my face. 
and then slam the bathroom door where I'd sit on the closed toilet seat, twiddling my thumbs and smiling ear to ear for about five minutes. Isn't young love grand? Yes, your first time is special indeed. And trust me, it's totally apropos that I should use a first kiss and a first crush as an introduction to first for filmmakers. Wow, that's a lot of Fs. I mean, think about it. Whenever a master filmmaker makes a movie about cinema, you know, a movie about movies or a movie about making movies, what do people say? So-and-so's film was, what, what was it? What do they say it always is? They say it was a love letter. Martin Scorsese's Hugo was a love letter to cinema. Cinema Paradiso was Giuseppe Tornatore's love letter to movies. Darren Aronofsky called Jafar Panahi's taxi a what? What What did he call that? Um, let me see. Sorry. What did he call that? Oh, yeah. He called it a love letter to cinema. Just Google the phrase love letter to cinema and see how many entries and blog sites you get. So we definitely have this image of cinema as something we filmmakers love. Not just in the way you love a good movie, but love as in the way you love a woman. Today, my hope for romantic filmmaking friends, we're going to explore first times, specifically as it relates to filmmaking. Along the way, we'll hear the first times of different filmmakers I've had the distinct pleasure to talk to these past few months. And we'll pick up from my infamous Atlantis Entertainment story and how that led to my first time on a real film set. My name is Ron Dawson, and this is Radio Film School. I fell in love with filmmaking as a spectator sport. So I fell in love with filmmaking by going to films. That's the voice of David Schulman, founder and executive director of the Seattle Film Institute, the Pacific Northwest's largest accredited college-level film school. Uh, so I just love, uh, I, I, I love films. The, and the, I Do guess, you remember like the first one you well, saw that affected you? Boy, that's, uh, uh, yeah, I think it was, uh, the, was it The Red Balloon? Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. first time I saw it was in elementary school and yeah you know on a 16 millimeter when they exactly. used to have that yeah exactly me too and, me too uh, me I too. remember I was a sensitive kid so I <laughs> definitely remember crying at the end of that uh spoiler alert um for red balloon but um <laughs> you know at the end where all the kids are throwing the rocks at yes. it and it yeah. you know for lack of a better word dies yeah and then all the other balloons come and yeah no I think that was the first film I saw where I just had this you know strong I mean this you know this strong emotional this really strong emotional reaction as can be expected my filmmaking for us are all special I already shared with you the making of my first film with that super 8mm camera that my father gave me I remember the first time hearing dialogue I'd written being recited by actors. 
I remember the first time a video I made was screened for a large audience, and I got to sit and listen to and see the people's reaction. Undoubtedly, though, perhaps the most profound filmmaking first for me was the first time working on a real set. It was there where I didn't discover filmmaking, but where filmmaking discovered me. If you recall in the last episode, I mentioned how I was inspired to make a movie about my harrowing Atlantis Entertainment hip-hop mogul experiences at UC Berkeley. At the time that I had the revelation that that story would make for a great movie, I was working as a real estate appraiser in San Jose, California. Now, you may find this hard to believe, but there isn't a lot of creative outlets in the real estate appraisal business. Well, not unless you count the creativity we often were encouraged to use to come up with the appraisal values needed to make our clients' loans. But that's a whole nother story and a whole nother podcast. Anyway, I needed a creative outlet. And making SOS Atlantis was going to be it. It was impractical and too expensive, frankly, for me to enroll in a traditional film school like AFI or USC. Side note, you filmmakers today don't know how amazing you have it. The kind of education you have at your fingertips is absolutely phenomenal. But I digress. So I did some research and I found the perfect solution. De Anza Community College in Cupertino, California, just right around the corner from Apple Computer. It was the highest rated film program at the community college level in the country. In my filmmaking one-on-one class, we each had to shoot a main project. Mine was a black and white music video set to Chris Isaac's Wicked Game. Remember that song? It was the story of a hapless waiter who has a dream about this beautiful woman who walks by his restaurant and how he abandons his post to follow her. It was called Deja Vu. And all throughout the dream, we see scenes and locations that match the photos, posters, and postcards established in the opening scene of his bedroom. It was my creative attempt to create a feeling of deja vu in the audience. Pretty clever, huh? Even the woman herself was made to look like the pale-skinned women in shades that hung on a poster over his bed. Do you remember those posters from the 90s? For life of me, I can't remember the name of the artist. The Z Gallery used to sell them all the time. Anyway, I'm getting off track. The dream ends when in an attempt to catch her before she gets on the bar train, he loses her and drops the rose he was hoping to give to her. At that point, he springs up out of his dream. Which, when you think about it, is not the kind of thing that would make a person spring up. I mean, it's not like it was a nightmare or anything. I just really wanted to have a cliche spring up out of dream scene in my movie. In the film, we cut to the next day when he goes back into work, and who should be sitting at his table but the woman from his dream. Man, isn't that so cool? Not cliche at all. Now, a funny side note about directing. I remember two specific directing anecdotes from that shoe that completely and utterly elevated my appreciation for the subtlety and talent needed to truly act well, to truly act well. I had my friend Rochelle play the woman. She was an attractive blonde. I had her wearing this cute, short-ish black dress in retro shades. The shades gave her a sort of blonde, wild Audrey Hepburn vibe. In one of the earliest scenes of the film, the mystery woman crosses the street. I noticed as we were rehearsing the scene, she'd be turning the heads of real guys passing by. So I wanted to capture one of these head turns on film, so I enlisted a fellow co-worker of mine to play some random guy that turns his head as she walks by. Yeah, he really couldn't pull off a realistic head turn. It was more like Commander Data from Star Trek Next Generation turning his head. It was very stilted. Funny enough, the other directing anecdote is also related to a head turn. 
It was the scene at the end of the film when the waiter sees the woman at his table back in the real world. It's supposed to end with him turning towards the camera as he breaks the fourth wall and he gives like a sort of like a um, flirtatious smile and a wink at the audience. Now really, how hard is that? Really just a smile and a wink. The guy cannot do it. I kid you not, it took 32 takes to get what I was finally halfway happy with. 32 takes. The problem was, I got this guy I knew from the dance clubs. Now, if you remember from the last main episode, I used to be a clubber. Well, this guy was really good looking. He always had the ladies asking him to dance. He had a very cool look. He fit the suit. That's a Brady Bunch reference. Google it. But he could not act to save his life. He basically had one look. Lost. Which was great for the rest of the film, but not so much so when I needed that nuance. Oh well, we live and learn. In the end, everything turned out fabulous. I got an A, and my teacher was really pleased. And if I do say so myself, I think mine was the best film in the class that year. Yeah, from what I remember, I'm pretty sure it was. Of course, that just could be my memory. Oh, by the way, if you want to see that short film, I dug it out of mothballs for you, and it's embedded on the blog post for this episode. It's a hoot. During my second quarter at Danza, I made another series of memorable films. I was showing such promise that my second quarter instructor recommended me for Deanza's prestigious fiction workshop program. This was a class where one student was chosen each quarter to write and direct a more substantial film, and the rest of the class had different roles, you know, producer, assistant director, script supervisor, etc., things like that. It was in that program that it all changed for me, how I finally fell in love with filmmaking. After the break, my buddy JD comes back to give me a hard time about casting my very first scripted short film, on which he was the DP. So don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. I mentioned in the opening segment how my first film project was a music video set to Chris Isaac's Wicked Game. That haunting tune was at the top of the charts that year. I love that song. A road was on fire, no one could save me but you. A strange what desire will make foolish people do. I never dreamed that i meet somebody like you. And I never dreamed that i lose somebody like you. Oh, I... I <coughs> Sorry. Sorry. I don't want to fall in love. Okay, sorry. I'm a filmmaker. I'm not a singer. Alright, but based on the description of my film, can't you see, like, based on those lyrics, why that was the perfect song? Unfortunately, I was young and naive at the time, and like most newbies to filmmaking, I had no idea you couldn't use popular music in your videos. Not unless you had tens or even thousands or even hundreds of thousands of dollars. Microsoft paid the Rolling Stones $3 million to use Started Up as the launch song for Windows 95. $3 million? You have $3 million? I don't have $3 million. Luckily though, you don't need to pay $3 million if you want to use a great sounding music legally in your productions. You don't even need tens of thousands of dollars. Song Freedom has thousands of amazing songs from every genre that you can license legally for as little as 30 bucks, depending on what the license. And for those of you who shoot weddings and other personal events, they're the only site where you can also license music from pop artists like Jason Imraz, Colby Calais, Imagine Dragons, LMFAO, One Republic, 
and even classic tunes from the likes of Frank Sinatra, Eddie James, Marvin Gaye, and The Temptations. Now to be clear, those mainstream tunes are cleared for use in personal event videos shot professionally. But how cool is it that now you can use songs like Best Day of My Life legally, guilt-free for your wedding, birthday, or bat mitzvah clients? If you go to songfreedom.com radio and use offer code radio, you can get a one-time standard goal-level license, free. That's a $30 value, just for being a listener to the show. This podcast takes a lot of work, and this is a new venture. Song Freedom is legitimately taking a gamble on us by sponsoring not only the show, but some other projects we're working on. As some of you who follow me may know, I've worked with or been sponsored by a number of licensing companies over the years. I think all of their services are great. But it was a special thing for Song Freedom to step up to the plate and believe in us. We've had some pretty cool little victories in our first month of existence. We reached number one in our iTunes category and frequently we're in the top 10. But none of that was happening before Song Freedom came to us. And even now, there's still no guarantee their investment in us will pay off. So it's a big deal for them to support us. Now, I'm sure there are those of you out there who have tried to find a supporter of films you've made. You know that feeling of asking people to help you out, to just believe in you, to see the potential for your vision and say, I'm on board. I believe in this. That's what Song Freedom did for us. Now, I know the deal. I have no doubt that many of you use a number of different services. And you know what? Go ahead. Keep using them. But could you do me a favor? Just check out Song Freedom if you haven't already. To be honest, I wasn't too crazy about their service when they first came out about five or six years ago. They had like this subscription-based thing. But anyway, they've changed so much since then. I would not have accepted them as a sponsor on this show if I still felt that way about their service. I'm generally impressed with how far they've come. Look, there are a lot of ways you can support this show. One of the easiest is to support the companies that support this show. So go to songfreedom.com, sign up, use that offer code. Even if you don't buy anything, just go and go to songfreedom.com radio. Just to let them know that their trust and support in us was worth it. Then use that code radio for a free song. It's free. What could possibly hurt? It would really mean a lot to me and my team. That's songfreedom.com radio, offer code radio. If you already have a registered Song Freedom account, you can still use the code. We thank Song Freedom for their support. And now, we'll exit this segment with a serenade from yours truly. No, I don't want to torture you anymore. Uh, you know, when I was growing up, I mean, you know, I followed like a very similar like sort of origin story of a lot of directors. That was the voice of Brad Wilkie, co-founder of Smart House Creative, a social media marketing, digital media, and PR firm for indie filmmakers. You know, in sixth and seventh and eighth, you know, like you're, I was in the summertime, you know, taking around a VHS camcorder and marshalling the neighborhood kids into short films. And, you know, it was, it was kind of fun. Like, I'm not a control freak at all, and I actually really don't like directing you know, I'm a much, I much more prefer writing and, and producing projects. Um, but in terms, it would never actually became that much of a community thing. It was actually something that I valued as being able to separate me from most people growing up in semi-rural New York State. And that's Ryan Davis, his business partner and co-founder. I guess why I first started getting interested in films, just like Brad was saying, carting around VHS camera with the neighborhood kids. I would make a lot of short films with a couple of people. Even still, that's how I produce things when I do is um, more more drawn to the high concept experimental stuff knowing a lot about movies was like my thing and it wasn't until I got out to Seattle um, and started interning at Northwest Film Forum that it became 
my community, that everyone I know is somehow connected to the movie industry. Ryan's mention about building a community is a perfect segue into our next segment, because as you will soon learn, building a close-knit community of fellow artists is a crucial part of being a filmmaker. Up until my fiction workshop class, the work I'd done in film school was merely training exercises, prepping me for when I could make SOS Atlantis. I had a great time making those films, but if I stick with the whole love analogy, this was like the dating period. You know, that time before a guy is ready to really commit and say those three little words, I love you. My work on the fiction workshop set changed all of that. I was a grip. In fact, I called myself Super Grip. I was eager, animated, anticipated the needs of my crewmates and met those needs before they were even asked. Truth be known though, I had no freaking idea what a grip was. I was really more of a glorified PA. But I was part of a film crew on a real film set. And I loved it. The antics, the collaboration, the calls of action and cut by the director, the post-mortem discussions back in the classroom after the shoot. It was all infectious. There, my friends, is where it happened where I finally fell in love with filmmaking. I originally entered Dienza in the summer of 92. By the spring of 94, almost two years into the program, I was on track to be one of the next directors chosen to helm a class project. But as fate would have it, I was emancipated from my dreary real estate appraiser job to be an assistant marketing manager at Screenplay Systems, at the time makers of the Movie Magic software in beautiful downtown Burbank. I bid a fond farewell to my fellow Fiction Workshop classmates and made the trek back to SoCal. But I would not let this little detour stop me from my destiny. I was going to direct a short film that I had scripted by hook or by crook, and I knew just the story I wanted to tell, a romantic comedy in the vein of When Harry Met Sally. In fact, I called it my Black When Harry Met Sally. A story about what happens when a guy who's remained friends with his ex reveals something that turns one of his visits into a rather awkward situation. And I can neither confirm nor deny that this story is based on any personal experience. The name of the film was Just Friends. I remember our repartees regarding oh, yeah. SC versus Deanza. Right. Um, rip you, give you a hard time. <laughs> right. SC here is a pretty good film school. It's um, okay. Let's get it on. Let's get it on. By now, you should recognize the unmistakable voice of my good friend and frequent radio film school guest, the Gail to my Oprah, the Fresh Prince to my Carlton, Mr. J.D. Cochran. Actually, I was just thinking about it. This year marks the 20th anniversary of a sh- Jeez. Are you cra- is that really? Yeah, 95, Accurate. dude. 95, wow. dude. 95. Wow. Um, every now and then I post a um, that picture. So I think maybe Angela took it, but there's a picture of me sitting on the floor kind of looking over looking over the script or something. I have like the... Screaming at Q, Q member, uh, crew members and... No, I'm back in the whip. No, I'm sitting on the ground in my bedroom. I have sort of like you know the the '90s high top hair fro. I don't even know what you call it. <laughs> with oh, your okay. cross with your cross color shorts on. 
Actually, I didn't have cross-color shorts. I did have cross-color shorts, but I didn't wear them on the set. Ron would not let the cross-colors go. You were like the last brother I knew to get rid of them cross-colors, man. I'm surprised you remember that, too. That's I, oh, I remember that. That's that's part of your catalog, dude. That was like your Simpsons gear. If they drew you the Simpsons character, you'd have, on, you'd have a high-top fade and some cross-colors. Shorts and shirt. Only the maybe like the 10 or so black people in my audience even know remotely right. what we're talking about. Right. What What cross is cross colors? Oh, well, it's, you know, it's like FUBU. It's one of them hip uh, clothing lines that uh, were made by a black company to support the race. Right. La raza. Cross colors was big back in the 90s, man. I... Huge. It was huge. It's like, look at, uh, you kind of get a taste of it and do the right thing. I mean, they're oh, kind of totally, cross colory, yeah. you know, clothes. Yeah, I don't know colors. if there's actual cross colors, but they had, you know, it's yeah. kind of that vibe. Oh, yeah, no, the cross, I had the cross colored t shirts and the shorts that, that uh, yeah, yeah they're, they're my favorite. They're rocking, rocking them hard in 95. Well, you know, I was trying to be like a filmmaker, you know, I was trying to be a, 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 a righteous black filmmaker. Right, right. <laughs> Which, you know, my background is kind of funny. JD and I go on to reminisce a bit more, head into one of our usual tangents, until we get into the topic of auditioning for and actually shooting Just Friends. And I tell this story, uh, and, and I hope the audience uh, enjoys it, because I think, I don't know, there's something about the filmmaking process and shooting a film and collaborating that's, you know, that's an enjoyable moment and that creates a lot of powerful memories. And, you know, I think, you know, to the extent that a person wants to get into this line of work just for fun, like, because I think there's no shame in, like, kind of doing this thing on the side. Like, I think a lot of people, particularly people who maybe follow my blog, feel like, like they have to do filmmaking to make a living. Like sometimes you can get more creative artistry out of it if you just do it for fun on the side. Which is at the time, this which is what it was for me. Like I was working at screenplay, but I wanted to do this film. And I remember the pre-production process. Like so, you're the DP, and I think I think technically you're a co-producer too. And then you introduced me to Angela Northington. Right. Right. Um, and she's doing some pretty cool stuff right now, too. I... Okay, at this point, I need to give a tad more context. JD and his wife, Yolanda, have this huge group of friends from USC Film School that they call The Click. All but two of them are African-American, and they've all gone on to varying degrees of success in Hollywood. Producers of major TV shows, writers, production heads. Yolanda herself was head of physical production at Alcon Entertainment, the company behind Book of Eli, The Blind Side, and the new Blade Runner sequel. She's now doing work for Netflix. This woman, Angela, that we're talking about is a producer for a major hip-hop media company. Had <laughs> I only known her when I was at Berkeley. Anyway, JD tapped a number of these friends to help us out on the Just Friends shoot, and two of the people that he tapped were actors. Actors who I like to call the ones that got away. That is to say, two of the guys who auditioned for my little film, two people I did not pick, were James LeSure and J. August Richards. James LeSure co-starred with James Caan as Mike Cannon on the show Vegas, and he played Holly Robinson Pete's husband Mike on the show For Your Love. J. August played the vampire hunter Charles Gunn on WB's Angel and is currently playing Deathlock on Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. As can be expected, JD doesn't let me forget that I passed them up. Two people in your clique who auditioned for the film who I didn't choose... One was James LeSure. Brilliant decision. Brilliant decision. <laughs> hey, I think you're being sarcastic. No, I'm being for real. I'm being sarcastic, <laughs> sarcastic and real at the same. Brilliant. For the auditions, we were doing sides, and sides are where you like you take 
just a, an excerpt from the script that you have during the audition period to have people try out. And so I remember for James, for James audition, because if I recall, it was Angela who actually sort of like suggested James, like, because I remember we had auditions at USC and we had people coming there and Angela's like, oh, you should try out James. And then we went to his, I think we, he auditioned either at her apartment or his apartment. Um, but he hadn't memorized the sides. Yeah, he had. T- yeah, he had, yeah, he came in. I, I don't know. It wasn't at his apartment. I don't. I don't it was at it was, an apartment. So it I thought have... it was at the house that we shot at, or, so, no, or somewhere. No, no, it was definitely at an apartment. Blah 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 blah. We prattle on for another two minutes or so about where in the hell he auditioned. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that we get off on. But not even knowing the lines, I thought he did a good job. I think it probably rubbed you the wrong way that he didn't. Right. Well, do the lines. But the thing about James, he's a hell of an auditioner. This was my first time writing and directing a written piece. And it was actually a surreal experience. When I was at Dianza, I was part of the fiction workshop program. So I had worked on other directors' films. And so I was like familiar with the whole film set process. But like the first time I remember sitting in that classroom or whatever it was at SC and the first time hearing like words that I had written on a script being read by an actor, like it was a powerful experience for me. It, yeah. was, it was really moving because that I had never experienced that before. Um, but yeah, when- no, that's, that's, I mean, that's an incredibly important thing for filmmakers. When you see hear actors do it, when you have people read it, you realize how much more weight everything has. Like, mm-hmm. like when I've shot films in the past, I've like, man, if I'd have known that their performance was going to be so strong, you don't, you know, you don't need as much because you, right. you get good actors are able to, 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 to take it there. And I think you probably felt that when they're reading your, your sides or whatever, you're like, wow, this, you know, and not necessarily that you need to cut anything, but like, you know, it gave it that life that you said it was so powerful because, you know, when they're on page or just on page, but when they start to come to life, you can really appreciate it. Okay. Yada, yada, yada. I bring up these stories because it's just interesting to see how, uh, you know, people, the the little bit of degrees of separation from people who've gone on to become famous and right how close I was to having like Jay August in a film I made or James Lashure right. in a film I made. To your point, though, there is a thing about chemistry and the way Jonathan just, you know, he won that role. It wasn't like he lost it or you just gave it away. It's like Jonathan went in there, fought for it and got it. So that's right. why he got it, you know, and that's a good thing. Uh, it keeps the it, it 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 helps keep that relationship with him and, and you pure and the actress that you know the main actress that he's working with uh, uh, Miata. So yeah, I, I think it worked out. You know, it worked out for what it was. But it is funny to look back and you're like, man, <laughs> you know, Jay, you know, Jay and James on all these shows, you know, doing all this work and it's like so you know, close. What do you remember me as a director? Um, I I thought that um, you can be honest. No, no, I, I will. Don't worry, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I know you will. I, 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 just, I think that. Um, if you can remember, it was a long time ago. Yeah, it wasn't like I sat down and wrote no. I thought that. Um, I thought that. Uh, I could tell that you you were new to uh, to it because um, of some of the things that we talked about. Mm-hmm. Like you could kind of pick up on like a director when they give somebody notes mm. if they're like if they're reading the actors and. and and again, I don't think you, I don't think you did a lot of that, if at yeah. all. But I, you, there's just certain things you kind of tell where it's like, oh, they're kind of new, sure, like they sure. probably shouldn't be doing this, right. or even in coverage, like just certain ways that you know you take coverage, where you know you might 
you know, and again, we were all, it wasn't like I was some, you know, 20 year old, you know, veteran, you know, so seasoned myself, but there are things that, you know, I, I could tell like, okay, he's kind of learning, he's new or whatever, but also I have a strong belief in letting people grow and figuring things out and, and they might be right in certain things that they do. The one thing that really impressed me though, I thought the writing, I was really impressed with your writing. Oh, I thought cool, that the, the writing was, uh. I was impressed with the amount of writing that you were able to do in a short amount of time. I remember at one point you wrote like, you said, yeah, I cranked out these new 15 new pages and it seemed like you did it in a, in like a, a, a day, which might not seem a lot to certain people, but I know for a lot of writers, they don't write that. You know, They can hack out 15 pages if they need to, but the stuff you generated wasn't, it was like, oh, okay, this is a viable, this is another good viable take. Sure. But I also know that that uh, Just Friends is kind of like your passion project you know right. i know it was really close to you you being the writer of course and then going on to direct it so i know a lot of that was a lot of what you wrote was ingrained in you mm -hmm. from an emotional standpoint so i know that helped a lot in terms of writing making the writing go easier but it was good it was good it was fun to work on it and uh you know to see your voice you know it's mm -hmm. it, there's nothing worse than just to have somebody come out and say oh we're gonna do a cool action film yeah, right. You know, we're doing this little indie thing or whatever. You're trying right. to do stuff. You're not really attached to the material. You're just trying to do cool stuff that you had seen another filmmaker do. And you're just trying to emulate stuff where you, I felt like there was definitely, you know, you, you talked about when Harry met Sally, but it was your voice in this project. It wasn't right. Harry met Sally. It was a Ron Dawson joint. You know, you were doing your thing. And even though that was the inspiration, you know, referring to when Harry met Sally, right. you still did your thing. And you still, you know, did the writing. It was unique. And it was, you know, it wasn't the same the exact same message as when Harry met Sally. So it was cool to see that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, it, it, you know, we were all enthusiastic about enthusiastic about being, uh, you know, making films at that point, you know, we're, mm -hmm. you know, we had that young, Yevite that young filmmakers do. We're going right. to change the world, you know. <laughs> so it's fun, you know. You yeah, know sure. I'm like, let's do it, man. What do you want to do? Let's right. let's get, let's get let's get on. May this little exchange be a lesson to all of you artists out there. Don't be afraid to go with your gut if you feel at your core a particular decision is best for the work you're creating. Yes, you may be passing on someone who goes on to be the next Leo DiCaprio, but in the moment, you have to be prepared to live with your decision, accept the consequences, and laugh about it later if necessary. Remember, tragedy plus time equals comedy. I was at NYU studying political science and I fell in love with the director. That's the voice of Sheila Andrew, founder and CEO of IndieFlix, the company Variety Magazine calls the Netflix of indie film. I had the pleasure of interviewing her along with three other women in the film biz for a women in film panel I recorded. I actually started styling on commercials and industrials and ended up in, uh, doing The Wonder Years, Party of Five, Dawson's Creek. So I worked in television in the studio system doing costume design, which I didn't even know existed. I actually used to think that when I watched TV, I just thought the actors showed up in their own clothes. <laughs> but when I think back, like, I Dream a Genie wouldn't have pulled that out of her closet. Um, <laughs> and then I ended up learning also to, you know, about editing and producing, casting, and directing. And it is through my first feature that I learned about how broken distribution was and that's how I ended up starting IndieFlix was to solve that problem. My meeting with Sheila turns out to be fortuitous for you my dear listeners. Sheila has agreed to give you all two free months of the service. If you're a fan of indie film, this is the site for you. With over 8,000 titles from short films to documentaries to feature films. 
If you need inspiration for your next picture, look no further. With over 48 channels to choose from, it should be easy to find exactly what you're looking for. One 13-minute documentary short you filmmakers may be interested in checking out is A Conversation with Lars von Trier. The link to get your two free months is in the show notes and blog post for this episode. Please be sure to send a thank you tweet to Sheila. Her Twitter handle is IndieFlexCEO. If you're listening, Sheila, thanks. Watching films and being a lover of films is, is so important to being a good filmmaker. That's award-winning filmmaker Kevin Shahinian, also a USC film grad. A lot of SC film grads on this show, I noticed. I think it's probably the, the foundation of, of being a great filmmaker. Um, but then it's a double-edged sword in that, you know, you're absorbing all of this film content and all these other directors and filmmaker styles that then it becomes, you know, are you unintentionally borrowing and how are you, are you aware that you're doing it? Uh, and, and, you know, really creating an original voice and style becomes the challenge um, when you're absorbing all of these other films from these great, great filmmakers. With that comment, we open the door to the topic we plan to address in earnest throughout this season finding your voice as a filmmaker and developing a signature style. As I finally tread into the waters of defining a signature style, I'll talk to Kevin and many more amazing artists on this topic, starting on the next regular episode of the show. Until that time, my fellow Hope for Romantics, take some time to reminisce and recollect. What was your first time like? How did you feel? What were the circumstances? When did you fall in love with filmmaking? First times are ephemeral. They're special. Treat them as such. They only come once. This episode was produced and written by me, Ron Dawson, with production help from Crystal Sun, Lucas Randall Owens, Tommy Ferguson, and Chris Huslich. Music was curated from freemusicarchive.org. Links to artists and tracks are in the show notes. Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On and At Last by Etta James are courtesy of Song Freedom's podcast license. Song Freedom is the only site where you can legally license not only a wide variety of indie, rock, R&B, and dance tunes, but also mainstream popular music from such contemporary artists as Imagine Dragons, One Republic, Jason Emraz, and American Authors, to classics from the likes of Etta James, Marvin Gaye, Frank Sinatra, and even Bob Dylan. Go to songfreedom.com radio and use offer code radio for a free one-time standard gold level license valued at $30. Lastly, I want to thank everyone who's reviewed and rated the show on iTunes. It's really helped us stay consistently in the top 20 and often top 10 podcasts in our category. And a few weeks ago, we actually were at the number one spot for a few days. But we only have about two weeks left in our new noteworthy section. So we really need you to help us out if you haven't already given us a review. Take a few minutes to hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. That's all for now. Stay tuned after the credits for a special bonus segment. So next time, remember, if your story sucks, I really don't care what you shot it with. And I especially don't care what you cut it on. See you next time. And here we are in heaven For you are mine at last
in talking about the audition and you know one of the themes i've been exploring this season is you know the idea of style and so i think one area where you see style for sure is in acting and actors and you know you were mentioning miata a couple of times i remember like one of the reasons like the specific reason why i picked her was because like everyone else that i remember like everyone else who had who did well who read for the role kind of played a certain way that for me kind of felt stereotypical angry black woman uh-huh and like miata was the only one who who did this really subdued reserved like i remember the scene was it, remember the scene that was the side was where she, where the girlfriend discovers that the boyfriend slept with the best friend the day after they had broken up. Yeah. And um, the line was something like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean? She was just jealous, like referring to like the girlfriend and like the main character is like realizing that her ex now who's a friend slept with her best friend the day after. And like everyone else was like, you know, rolling their heads. Like, what do you mean? And, and like Miata was like just this subdued, like, what do you mean? Right. Well, I would say this though, but that's right. something also that you got to think about because you could have, I mean, it, once you got into rehearsal, whenever, right. may, you, maybe you don't, you have them not hit it as hard. I, cause I don't know that she was, she was subdued, but in my mind, she was also very, um, valley girlish. Uh-huh. As one of the other sisters were very sisters. She, to me, right, right. wasn't just subdued. And True. Uh, to me, she had a style herself, which was True. very... Because her line, which we still laugh about today, like, did you sleep with her? And it was like <laughs> a very valley girlish, oh my God. I, and so it's like, it wasn't... Wait, wait, no, no, no. Dude, no, you're remembering that wrong. That was not Miata. Miata was not the one who was, did you sleep with her? I know who you're talking about. Who said that? I don't remember her name. No, no, dude, no, Ron. Dude. No, it's in the Go Look at Your Film. I can't. It's on high eight. I can't dude, transfer that. Dude, we clown that Yolanda. Everybody, dude. I'm telling you. Okay. You no. call up Yolanda. Call up Yolanda right now. And it was All her. Right. First of all, my apologies to the audience while we kind of hash this out. Right. Listen, I'm, I'm telling, telling you. I'm telling you, right here sitting in this chair, I guarantee you. No, I... Just look at your film. Go look at your film. Don't take my word for it. That's I a- agree that one of that part of like her style was more of that Valley Girl style. But there was so one. Saying, so that being said, you're going to argue now. Yeah. Because listen, because listen, just uh, listen. Now you're gonna argue that she didn't have no, that take. No, no. My point is that <laughs> <laughs> my point is the person you're talking about. There was this other woman who came out. And because I remember we used to tease because she would look into the camera after saying her line. And she was the one that was like over the top valley girl. Did you sleep with her? And we'll, on. That all right. Me, okay. Dude, I'm telling you. Okay. Well, well I, I'll have to try. But, but, here's the, but here's the thing. But, but you're going back to style because Mia is a good actress. She did really well. Sure. sure but I'm just it. saying I think that got closer to what you were. Thinking I don't know. You were more comfortable with or what you were vibing with. And right. But. For me, I always remember that sticking out of my head, and I didn't say anything. I mean, that was your choice, or whatever. But to me, that was something. The reason I'm so adamant about it is because I remember, right, that I would have probably given a note there, like, right, right, right. But you know, I was, I was, I was a camera guy and lighting, <laughs> light and stuff. So I was, you know, cool. And you know, and again, she's a good actress, so yeah, yeah. You know, you let it roll. That's the vibe. That's the flavor you're going for. That's what it is. Hold up, one more thing before you go. As I mentioned in the episode, I embedded on the blog post for this episode the main project for my intro to filmmaking class. Because I originally used the song Wicked Game, I stripped the video of the song so that I could upload it here for you. If you want to have some fun, get the song, then play it alongside the video. 
You'll want to time the opening twang of the song with the very first frame of the room fan in the opening scene. It's right about 16 seconds. For fun, I've also added a commentary track. And see if you can find the stilted head turn I mentioned in the episode. Oh, and I make my own Hitchcock-esque director's cameo. I should be easy to find. I'm the black guy with the high top fade and the cross colors t-shirt. Have fun. <laughs>